Welcome back to another episode of the Rankable Podcast. I'm so excited. My name is Garrett Sussman of iPoll Rank, and this week we're talking about we. So my guest today, we were just joking right before this about we're talking about programmatic SEO, and despite the fact that it's so valuable and such a great way to drive traffic, and it's not easy. There are challenges there. SEOs in our industry don't. They don't put the name to the process. They're doing programmatic SEO half the time, and they don't even know it. I'm joined by Anna Oos, and Anna is an awesome in-house SEO lead. She's worked with uh, Wix in the past. She worked at Sneak for like seven plus years in cybersecurity, doing a lot of B2B and B2C. I'm so thankful for her to join us. She did a whole really cool Brighton SEO presentation about indexing. Thank you for joining me today, Anna. Thank you, Gary. I'm really excited to join you. Oh my gosh. Okay. So I want to dive into programmatic SEO, but before we even go there, uh, so you're, you're a little obsessed with watercoloring, I heard. Yes. I have something in my background. Um, I don't know if it's uh, cool to show, but I'm a self-taught, self-made watercolorist. That is so cool. How, how often do you do it? Like, is that just kind of go to your happy place and are you doing it constantly or... To be honest, it's both like when I'm very sad and when I'm very happy, but never when I'm neutral. So it depends on the mood. <laughs> you know, there's something to be said that like, especially in the US, art therapy is very much like in vogue these days. Like people use it to kind of get to a better mental state and you just kind of get in the zone, right? Uh, something else came to mind that uh, artists need to suffer to create, <laughs> which is a completely opposite thing from what you were saying. Yes, I yeah. Some of the best creativity is is comes from like really really tough experiences. So it depends on on your need for it. But I want to talk. It's kind of like the opposite direction. Programmatic SEO. Yes. You so so before we even kind of dive into my specific questions, how how did you find yourself? doing programmatic SEO in the first place? Yes, so this is a very interesting question. And I really want to give shout shout out to Oren Hakohan, uh, the growth uh, director, at, ex-growth director at Sneak. It was his idea for the first uh, project. Um, he, was, he knew SEO, but he mostly had this idea and he brought me in to Sneak mainly to shape it on the SEO front. And I feel that we didn't know that the name was programmatic SEO. We just knew that we need to create templated pages. And I was bringing in all this classical SEO expertise of like, how do we avoid duplicate content? How do we avoid thin content? How do we get all of this index? And then kind of like, after we have created all of this, I think that's only after that, the the term programmatic SEO started to shape out, you know, shape around this what i feel like that's that is a lot of fear for seos as you said if you're classically trained like we've been you know beaten over the head with this fear of like you're you know if you have duplicate content if you're just using like really poorly created content that's generated by like some computer yeah. obviously we're gonna get a little a little into chat gpt and generative ai um in a moment but what are what can you point to as some examples of the best modern use cases of programmatic SEO? Like who's doing it in a way that you're like, ah, that that's what I aspire to create for my org. 
Wow, that's a tough one. I could give you a few common examples of programmatic SEO. Let's start there. Um, and then I'll sprinkle what I think could make the programmatic SEO quality versus non-quality. Like a few common examples are websites like TripAdvisor or Rightmove. So the idea is that you have the main keyword, the head term, uh, which in case of TripAdvisor would be best things to do in and then you have the modifier, which in their case would be the CD. And the funny part there is that most likely you won't rank for top 15 things to do in London because you will have so many uh, major publications covering that uh, and in detail and with pictures and maybe 15 top bars and this and that. Like it will be very colorful, bright and rich user experience. But 15 things to do in Leamington Spa well, probably you have a really good chance. And how many CDs are there? So we're not talking about ranking for something very popular, something very competitive. We're talking more about dominating the long, uh, long tail. And that's where the volume comes from. Right. So, and that makes a lot of sense. So in some ways, programmatic SEO, even though it can be resource intensive, it is valuable for someone who's trying to kind of break into a territory or break into an industry where they might not be able to win those really high search volume, difficult keywords. They're thinking kind of like spray and, and, and kind of blanket with long tail. Yes. Yes. You, I don't even think it is for the companies who can't dominate the serve. It's just slightly different strategy. So for example, for the, if, if I, if top 15 things to do in London was very important for TripAdvisor, mm -hmm. I think they could have created a landing page and, uh, add manually created content on the, on there. I don't know if it is on their list and like, if it is that important for them, but I would still say that, it's not about your strength or competition. It's about the reach, breadth, and building awareness, regardless of your size or or like resources or power. It makes sense. So, I mean, like TripAdvisor is a great example in the travel hospitality industry. Are there any other industries that are really primed for programmatic SEO? I think any industry. You just need to think about who are your users, what are they searching. And if you find that kind of niche where there is a term and then a lot of variables or just something that where you can scale a lot of landing pages, that is for you. I, I mentioned this example um, before we started recording about uh, the ticketing company. Mm -hmm. Not a very big company. I would say maybe 50 people working there uh, and they're selling tickets uh, on the secondary market, right? Would you say that? Like, from people to people, etc. So basically the way they've built um, organic traffic traction is by creating the authors uh, or performers uh, profile pages and they rank for local performers. They are not ranking for uh, Lady Gaga, Beyonce, etc. but they are ranking for local performers. And then on that profile, you can see there, it is connected to Spotify. You can also see when they are performing, uh, where they are performing, and you can exchange swap tickets, buy tickets. So they kind of thought of, okay, so we're selling tickets. Our users are into music. 
what would they like? Well, probably they are following some artists on Spotify. Well, probably they are searching for those artists online. So how can we get in front of their eyes when they're searching for those artists, but at the same time bring value to them by offering them additional information when and how they can see them in real life? So I, I think that is, uh, that is a cool strategy when you think out of the box, just thinking about what your user needs, what your user likes, and how you can be there for them online. And, and what I love about that example too is it's very much tied to the business revenue. Like with that example, they're seeing those pages and then all of a sudden they're actually purchasing tickets, which is the, you know, the business model for that website. So it's like, you know, TripAdvisor has a lot to do with like traffic and, and advertising, getting their, their, you know, businesses to advertise there. Whereas a, a ticket reseller is like about selling tickets. So if you're spreading all over and really getting these in front of people, it's, you just have to your point, you have to use that creativity of how can you tie, tie what your audience needs, your own business model, and then where you can create content. So if you want to get involved with programmatic SEO or you want to bring it to your organization, what are some of the hard skills that are critical to be able to actually implement an initiative at your, at your company? Right. Well, I think you need to be um, quite well-rounded SEO professional uh, to be able to lead such projects. Because you need to do keyword research, you need to understand uh, content writing, you need to do like on-page optimization, all this basic ch checklist of things that we're trying to improve at. Um, but the core skill, I would say, would be technical SEO, because when you do programmatic SEO, it's always dealing with uh, creating pages at scale. And that's where it comes like, and it starts from just laying out the structure and trying to understand, okay, I will have two million pages. How does the site look like? How can I structure it so that it is not a flat URL structure? Is there a way I could group these pages? And if there is no way to group those pages, which sometimes happens, then try to find a way to create maybe directories where you group them by popular or most recently added or alphabet like the alphabetically is the simplest one like right right <laughs> you, you can find criteria and then again you're being creative about this so it starts from structure you plan the structure you need technical SEO skills for that for URL structure for mapping everything um, you need technical SEO skills for analyzing how your asset is being um, crawled how how often Googlebot visits your pages and then obviously finishing with all this sprinkle of uh, structured data, right? The, right. Even, even the, it's funny how sometimes people add the breadcrumbs, but don't add the structured data for breadcrumbs. Right, which, which is, it's, you're speaking to Google, you're trying to help Google out, but if you're not doing that, you're just putting that much more pressure and, and, and you're kind of like delaying the, the, yeah. the benefits. Yeah. So those are the skills, like being a well-rounded SEO, but also being very strong and passionate about technical SEO, because you'll have to dig a lot and you'll have to deal with it a lot and you need to like it. So, and speaking of technical SEO, kind of is your bread and butter that you've been talking about, like at your uh, presentation at Brighton about indexing, which, because when you start generating hundreds of thousands and millions of pages 
<laughs> Google's not necessarily going to index all of that. And so all of a sudden, indexing concerns become very real. How do you mitigate them? How do you handle, you know, getting, making sure Google crawl, discovers crawls and actually indexes your programmatic production? Right. That is a major concern. And that is uh, what I covered in my talk on Brighton SEO literally a week ago. And <laughs> why I think this is super cool, because we had a problem, we tried to solve it, and we saw 200% uh, traffic growth after we solved it. And it is plus 500% year over year growth. So if I was to try and fail, I probably was the more less likely <laughs> to be excited about it. Anyway, there are two things that uh, come before the indexing and crawling that make it so difficult. It is the pages are templated. If the pages are templated, most likely you're using some sort of data or visuals and you're less reliant on the text on the page, which makes it A, thin content. B, if Google is not that good in interpreting your unique, beautiful visuals and fantastic data points, then it might be considered duplicate content. You might think that, okay, you've published 2 million pages of the same kind of stuff. So these are the first two challenges that you need to try to address as much as you can, but it's a separate topic. And the second one, so with all that, how do you make Google crawl that volume of pages and how, even if Google crawled them, how do you get out of that report in Google Search Console, you know, this nightmare report of crawled but not indexed, nightmare of every SEO. <laughs> um, so the changes we did were simple. It, it would sound really simple and it was just like, you know, let's try everything we know from the SEO field, like improve the structure, mm -hmm. add the breadcrumbs and, and the uh, breadcrumb structure data. But more, mm -hmm. uh, more importantly, we had four labels. Like I'm pretty sure in any other website, you can find a similar example of like with artists, it, it can be a music style label or any other criteria that group yes. pages. So we had um, four criteria that are shown on the top of the page, which is security, maintenance, popularity, and every page gets a score for that criteria. So that criteria is clickable. It gets you to the directory page, which is oh. a classic HTML sitemap with a nicer design. And then there you can see all the pages with poor security with the normal security, very secure, or like maintenance, well-maintained, not maintained, and it groups pages, and then there is an alphabetical break breakdown because that was the only way to group the 2 million pages and to make sure they are linked from every single page. That makes so much sense. And and it, and it's almost it's almost like super powered breadcrumbs, if you will, like doing those like kind of label groupings. It, and yeah. it was so so that's programmatically. And so then you implemented that. And how long did it take for you to see, you know, the the skyrocket in indexing? Yes. So initially, how we identified this problem, we we felt that our traffic was flat and we were stuck. Mm -hmm. And I was wondering, like, is it because we need to improve positions? Is it because we are not ranking? You know, try to look at everything from different angles. 
And then we were like, okay, let's do this massive crawl. We obviously did it from time to time, but then we purchased a new software that is in cloud and like not, not like Screaming Frog can process everything. Uh, yeah. Nothing, uh, nothing against Screaming Frog. I love it, but it's, but it's Screaming Frog. <laughs> I love Screaming Frog, but usually I throw like 500 URLs there. Um, yeah, so this software can process large volumes. And we saw that the bot could only reach 500,000 pages. And we were like, aha, this was the aha moment. If the third party crawling solution can't reach the 2 million pages, Googlebot will not either. So that's when we spotted that, implemented all of those changes. I would say it took two months to implement it. We had a dev team for that. I was leading that effort. And then an amazing question, when did we see the improvement? Mm -hmm. Right away, right yeah. away, right away. It's, it's insane. The traffic started to improve right away. But when you look at Google Search Console, it's really hard to say why. Did we, again, did we improve positions or did we index more pages? Um, and you will tell me, why don't you go to the report pages indexed, right? Should mm -hmm. show, right? If there is an uplift in pages indexed or pages right. called or whatever, like uh, that will correlate with traffic. Flat. Nothing, nothing spotted by uh, Google Search Console. But at the same time, the traffic increases. And I see that these are new pages that were like zero clicks before. And now it is five, 10, you know. So I understand that the pages are being indexed, but it's just not being reflected in the index report. That's so, cool, but that's so frustrating. That must have like, your, your team must have been flipping out and trying to figure out what the heck was going on. No, 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 no. not at all. Like we just, <laughs> what we did is because we're, you know, geeks, our favorite go to tool in, in case we don't know, we, we go to Google Sheets. Uh, we go to add on uh, this extension uh, for Google Sheets, uh, Google Search Console, export all this stuff without the 1000 rows limitation. And then we compare like, I don't know, before we made the changes, after we made the changes, and we filtered the URLs that went from zero clicks to some clicks <laughs> and create the cool. graph ourselves. I mean, yeah. that, that's the thing. You need, you need like going back to the technical SEO skills, you also need data analysis skills, like the ability yeah. to, you know, just be able to look at these spreadsheets and, you know, use your thinking and understand like how can we surface the progress and the value. I'm so, I am really curious, obviously one of the big topics in our world over the last like five months has been AI with chat GPT and generative AI. And I can't help but think of the overlap between programmatic SEO and generative AI. Now there's this opportunity, you mentioned the idea of like thin content and you know, a lot of programmatic SEO is obviously taking data points and being able to visualize it. But like there is that text part of it that feels like an opportunity. Um, do you see any ways to, to kind of enhance programmatic SEO using these generative AI tools like ChatGPT or is it too risky? I loved when you said it feels like an opportunity. Mm. I have exactly the same definition. It feels like the opportunity is there at our fingertips. <laughs> but not yet there. So I'm really optimistic about ChatGPT. Um, and in general, like, I, I understand that. I don't, I don't think we should be threatened by it. Mm -hmm. I yeah. think that technology is evolving. 
to facilitate our day-to-day jobs. I was very tempted to edit, but we have brainstormed, we have considered that, and we decided that we are like every company values their reputation. If it was a personal blog and I would want to run a test, how does mm-hmm. this affect the rankings? Maybe. But when you are a company, you're responsible for the information you're providing to your users. You like, and you, especially if you have millions of pages, you won't be able to know if you have a Bracadabra on one of them or like millions of them. So I don't think it's possible as of right now, uh, especially without uh, any human review, moderation, or um, involvement. Again, it depends because if you're asking, (laughs) <laughs> yes, our favorite. If you have an asset of 50 pages, right, then you can create, like, I don't know, a database of uh, certain hacks or paragraphs. Again, review them with a human and then get them pulled. So you have more flexibility in terms of um, using that, uh, but still with someone looking at it. And you can train AI, right? Like th- that was the, the fascinating part. Like you can train it the tone of voice, the length, the language. That is so cool. And I think we should like focus on that for now. But definitely it's too risky to just pull something without editing or without review. Yeah, it's, and that's and that's the thing that I feel like most SEOs need to we need to continue to educate on is that as cool as AI is, it still very much needs the human intervention. And, you know, maybe in 12 months, 24 months, we will see continued advancements where it is more trustworthy. But right now, it, it, it feels like it's too much of a risk for a lot of people, unless, you know, at, at scale like that, at the millions, where to the extent where you can't have an actual editing content team you know, involved there. Finally, I do want to ask, um, you know, obviously there's, there's a lot of value that you see from your team and other experiences in programmatic SEO. How do you, how would you recommend that SEOs make the case to executives, um, to initiate a project like this? Okay. This is a great question and it is super hard (laughs) <laughs> if you're like, I just generally think it's hard. Uh, but th- what I did to help this is um, I predicted the traffic we will get from it and I predicted conversions. So every company has their KPIs. If it is a freemium or um, if it is a freemium model, probably it would be like free sign up. If it is like uh, download an asset, it would be like some sort of event or something, right? So what I did is uh, I looked at the main competitors. And competitors in this case are not the companies that are doing exactly the same, right? Uh, it is when, for example, in my case, the user is searching for a package name, I looked at the top results. So I took result number one. I, I got the traffic for that result and the pages. And just to, to explain, like, that company would provide some information about this package and would facilitate the download, but it wouldn't provide the information we were providing. So in a, in a certain way, it does satisfy user's intent and the, the pages should match more or less what we were trying to create. It's just the different type of page. So I would uh, download that. I would break them into popular, um, middle and long tail. 
uh, I would split them into buckets. Like, let's say uh, a page that gets more than 1,000 clicks is popular. A page from 500 to 1,000 is middle. And then everything else is long tail. So many pages are getting three, five clicks a month. But they're still valuable. They're still super valuable. It doesn't matter that there are like this artist has five fans. They will go to his concert. <laughs> or like it doesn't matter that only five developers want to use this package. Like, um, so all matters. So then I would uh, think, okay, so for top keywords that are super competitive and top, super popular, our best chance would be ranking, let's say, number 10. Then for the middle ones, I would look at the pages at their authority backlinks. Like I would analyze all of that and I would say, well, there we can rank number four, right? Realistically. Then for the long tail, we can rank number one with no problem because we have really great pages. And then I would research what is the CTR. I would put it (laughs) according to this position, uh, calculate the traffic that we can get from there. Uh, assume the conversion rate that we can get from this asset, con- con- considering that this is not the landing page or home page or something talking about product product. So probably conversion rate will be lower and calculate the conversion rate. Then I would layer the indexing page. So I would think, mm. okay, well, in the first quarter, we would get 20K pages indexed. Not quarter, like, yeah, because we were starting... In the, in the end, so like in the first month, we'll get 20,000 pages indexed. Then uh, it would be 40, then it would be 70. And like the progression, all of this with traffic and conversions. And then I would say in a year time, we will get this. And then when you get this sweet number and you bring it to the leadership and you say, all I need is three months of dev work to get that started. And you get every year, this amount of conversions for free. You can also put uh, in comparison uh, the PPC budget, how much it would cost to acquire those uh, um, signups if you were to pay for them. And you'd say, and that's forever. And that's all yours. And um, that's how I would sell it. <laughs> I, it's, it's, it's interesting because it, to your point, it is very complex. You really have to kind of go methodically through all these different values and layer them on top of each other. And then it does get even more, you know, kind of risky with forecasting when you're talking indexing, because as much as like you want to try to predict it, there are, there are probably going to be some, some roadblocks or some some other issues that could potentially come up if one of the taxes doesn't work. But ultimately, it's a high-level value-driven proposition to the C-suite that will ultimately get you the budget to do that. And then to your point, it's like long-term compounding. Like the value, it's not just, it's not like an ad campaign where you have to continually pump money in there. It's like once it's out there, yes, there needs to be some maintenance, but ultimately it's it's there's a lot of get the work done and then it continues to pay dividends i focused uh, in my answer a lot on calculations mm-hmm. uh which i think is valuable but when it comes to convincing someone obviously you need to you know there is like there are basic things like you need powerful eyes so you need to convince you need to understand who are the decision makers here and just try to convince them one-on-one, like come and first maybe say about this idea. Say like, I have this amazing idea. Then like test your waters, then bring in like a a more like 
specified project and say like, well, I looked into it and then like, obviously it builds up. No one comes, nobody invests all the time in the world to do that research and then just, you know, drop it on the table. So yeah, it's layered, it's uh, complex. And I think it took a long time in our company as well to, to scramble the resources for that. Yeah. I mean, I mean that, that's just a good business lesson in general is like, you need to come with the evidence. You need to come with, you know, the, the hypotheses and, and a really well organized argument, but there's the politics as well. There is the relationships that you have with the people who are making the decision. And uh, this is so interesting. And I think if you are an SEO, especially a technical SEO, you need to start thinking creatively about how you can implement programmatic SEO because there's so many opportunities across industries, as you mentioned. Uh, I am. Are you ready to dig into some rapid fire rankings? Uh, yeah, let's do that. <laughs> okay, here we go. We're going to put on the music. We're going to put some time on the clock and we're going to go for it. Anna, rank your top three of something, anything that you love. Oh, I love watercolor. Uh, I love my dog. No, my dog goes first. So I love my dog. I love horse riding and uh, I love uh, painting. I love that. Rank your best SEO or marketing win. Well, I think the programmatic asset that we've launched is the biggest win because it's a one million free clicks that comes to the company and yeah, yeah, and it keeps growing, and it's my gift to them, my party oh, gift. It's like a beautiful plant that grows and grows. Rank your rank your yeah. top three SEO tools. Um, all right, Ahrefs for keyword research and for backlinks research. Keywords everywhere. I find it super useful, and if you are not using it, like you definitely should, uh, because it adds information in your SERP, and it also adds information about like search volume, etc. To Google Search Console and to Google Analytics, like it has it everywhere. And lastly, um, SEO Minion, very basic one, but I think there are many alternatives uh, to check the on-page and like some other factors. I love those Chrome extensions. Okay, so rank your best SEO trick or tactic. Okay, uh, content grouping, content clustering. Uh, let's say you want to rank for um, a very competitive keyword and it's really hard to rank for it with one page with a flat URL. So something that worked for me in the past was uh, to come up with that keyword, then uh, find the related keywords, like smaller keywords, and group it all around it, create a content hub, and that really helped to rank for the main keyword. I love that. Rank your uh, what you love most about SEO. Oh, uh, I love that question. Um, the best thing is that the industry and the people, uh, as someone who just came back from Brighton SEO, I'm still pumping from that uh, amazing vibe from all those inspiring talks. And I think that people are very nice and friendly. And secondary, obviously, is that the industry and the matter itself is very vibrant. You can always find different things to learn. You can always uh, deepen your knowledge in this or that. and you know, you can combine sets of skills. I, I would, and speaking of deepening your knowledge, rank your best learning SEO resource. 
this is so hard because I love listening to podcasts. And uh, actually, I, yeah, um, contrarian marketing or marketer, I think, by Kevin and Dick uh, and Ali is a really good one. But in general, I turned my LinkedIn into a very productive um I'm following all the, all the right people, so I get both the articles there and, uh, you know, individuals from all the in, influencing or, like, people authoritative in the SEO industry that I, I listen to. So I think it's a good combo. A lot of people would say Twitter is that thing for them. It's LinkedIn. There you go. Check out LinkedIn SEO community. It, it is this really solid set. You have to curate it, I think, really effectively. Yeah. Okay, now probably the most unfair question, but rank your one, top one to three SEOs or marketers that you most look up to, admire, appreciate. So I really like uh, Kevin Indyk because um, he covers a lot of topics. But, and he's like, literally, he's very interesting to listen and follow on really different subjects. Um, and the second one would be Ren Fishkin because I don't know, on Whiteboard board Friday, <laughs> who doesn't love it? It's like a little nostalgic, but I think he had and he has, but in a different capacity, like so much to learn from. Two great guys. And, and it's like one thing that they both have in common is they're very much like thought leaders. Those are guys who like, they really spin ideas out there that you're like, oh, I never thought about it that way. In terms of social online, if someone wants to get in touch with you, where's, where's the best way to connect with you? LinkedIn, LinkedIn. Just uh, connect with me, message me. Uh, I would love that. And also like, if you are working on a programmatic SEO strategy, I'd love to brainstorm. There you go. Okay. So programmatic SEO, so fascinating, so much opportunity, fun challenges. Thank you so much for joining me today. And this was a great conversation. Thank you very much, Garrett. My name is Garrett Sussman of iPool Rank. This has been the Rankable Podcast. We will catch you next week. Thanks again for tuning in. Mm-hmm.